right, grab your Bibles, Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1. Isn't it good to be saved? All right, we are going to, we're going to hopefully, hopefully we're going to wrap up chapter number one tonight. Lord's willing and the creek don't rise. Amen. Uh, We're going to try our best to wrap that up. Philippians chapter number one. Who needs a lesson? Who did not get a lesson? Raise your hand if you did not. Boy, I tell you what, that balcony is growing up there. I'm going to tell you. Alan said if we put him up there, he'd attract the crowd. It's getting bigger and bigger. Amen. Tony, is it you or is it Alan? Got to be Alan. All right. All right. Uh, uh, Philippians chapter number one and verse number 27, verse number 27. How many of y'all have been, how many have enjoyed the series so far on joy? Good, good. Uh, it's, it, the, the tone is going to kind of change at this particular point. Uh, first he was telling them why he was having joy and what he got joy out of as far as the fellowship of the gospel. And then what was happening because of his difficulty, because of his trials, because of his chains, the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel was getting out because of everything that was happening to him. So that pleased him. That gave him joy. That gave him uh, something that touched him because his main concern, his main concern was the gospel and Jesus Christ. His care, his goal, his desire was to get the gospel out and for God to be magnified. So what do we learn from that? If we will put God first in our life, if he will become our priority, if serving him and putting him first and him being pleased will become our priority in life, that is the first step to experiencing real joy. Now, now listen, not, not a temporary happiness. Not a temporary happiness. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about real, lasting joy that you still have even in the midst of a difficult situation. Does that make sense? I'm not talking about something temporary. All we know is temporary stuff. Uh, I, I, matter of fact, I, I have a 20, 20 pound mark. When I hit the 20 pound mark, I'm going straight to Brandon Iron and I'm getting the brownie with ice cream. Say amen. I'm telling you, I'm celebrating my 20 pound mark and I'm, I'm, I'm about, I don't know, about six pounds away, but when I get there, I'm going to have extra ice cream and a brownie, and then I'm going to have to run it off because it's temporary. <laughs> now, do you all understand what I'm saying? We have temporary stuff. The problem with us as Christians is we're depending on the temporary. We're depending on the things that, that are like a vapor, and they go, and they're not lasting and Jesus did not say, he didn't say, I want you to have joy in, your, in, in what the world has to offer. I want you to have joy in what I'm going to give you. And we learned Sunday that peace, satisfaction, happiness, and really you can put the word joy there, comes at the hand of, at the hand of God. Amen? Now, let's look at the study today. Verse number 27. If you found your spot, say amen. amen. Now, remember, if, you, if you're new tonight, we are reading a letter we are reading a letter that Paul the Apostle wrote while he was in prison, while he was incarcerated, while he was in chains, back to the church of Philippi, back to a group of people that he dearly loved, that he dearly appreciated for their, their, their support of him and his ministry and their fellowship with him and so forth and so on. And, and now, now he's encouraging them and now, he, in this part of the letter, in this part of this chapter, he's telling them what he wants to see in them. If that makes sense, say amen. Okay, let's look at it. Verse 27. 
Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast. Say that with me. That ye in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. Say that with me. Striving together. So he wants them to stand fast, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing, and in nothing, he's encouraging them here. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to for his sake. Boy, that's going to mess up a lot of prosperity preachers' gospel right there. Because most prosperity preachers want to tell you that if you're living right, you'll never have problems. That if you're in the will of God, it'll all be peaches and cream, and you'll, you'll, you'll prosper and be in great health and all that. But that's not what that verse says. God has called us not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blessings and your mercy. <clears throat> Thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for the ability to come to a place and sit down and, and, and hear from you. And Lord, I pray that's what we do. I pray more than anything that we hear from you. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts, speak to our souls. Let, it, let, let our spirits be stirred by the truth we hear. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we'll leave better and stronger than we were when we came. I pray your perfect will be done in all these things. And Lord, we'll praise you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Read, read, read with me the first line of your notes, in the first paragraph in the introduction. Read, read it with me. The Christian life is not a... Let's all try that. Let's all try that. Everybody got a lesson? Let's all try that. The Christian life is not a playground. Say it again. It is a... It's a battleground. How many of y'all figured that out by now? How many of y'all figured out the devil hates you? The devil's trying to stop you. The devil's trying to discourage you. The devil's trying to detour you. Anytime you get in the perfect will of God, you become a major target to Satan. You become a major target to try to stop you. It is a battleground. We are facing basically three foes. We are facing Satan himself. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary, you're, the devil, is as a roaring lion roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. He is our adversary. The word adversary means enemy. He is our enemy. He is our enemy. He is a liar. Somebody say amen. We face Satan. We also face society. How many of y'all realize that this world and this culture we live in is wicked? You can't help but turn on, the, the, listen, the news. You can't help but turn on uh, the politicians. You can't help but turn on uh, social media and hear what everybody's saying about this politician and this person and they're, they're backing this one and what they think of that one. And, and uh, man, our country is in a mess. 
Our country is sliding deeper and deeper into wickedness and idolatry and immorality to the point that they can't even see. Right isn't even relative to them. We, we face society. Every time we go out those doors, it's easy to live for Jesus in here, isn't it? It's easy to be excited about God in here. It's easy to live right in here. This is a hard atmosphere to cuss in, isn't it? But go to work. Go home for that matter, amen? Are y'all with me? When you leave here, when you leave here, you go into a society that's wicked. So there's a fight there. There's a fight to live right. Guys, guys, there's a fight to keep your mind right because of what we see. You can't even go from the supermarket. You can't even go to Dollar General and get you a candy bar and go through without seeing naked women on a, on a magazine right there. So we have a fight. We're fighting the culture that we are living in. We're fighting a culture of unbelief. We're fighting a culture of idolatry. We're fighting a culture of self-centeredness. We're fighting this culture. It's really an antichrist culture. But the worst enemy of all is not necessarily Satan. It's not necessarily society. It is ourself. It's ourself. When you stand in the morning and, and you're standing in the bathroom and you're looking in the mirror, that's your worst enemy. We have to fight self. We have to fight our flesh. Our flesh is wicked. Our flesh, listen, uh, the, the, the old man, the old man, I wish it was completely obliterated and we didn't have to worry about it. But our old man and our new spirit fights all the time. Are y'all with me? This, this Christian life's a battleground. And he wants us to know that. If we're going to experience real joy, we've got to understand the atmosphere that we are in and what we are around. He begins to tell us, listen, in the first part of this chapter, from, from verses number 1 to verse number 11, he said we are sons in the family enjoying the fellowship of the gospel. Then in Philippians 1, 12 through 26, we find out we are servants sharing in the furtherance of the gospel. But now we're going to read and study from verse 27 to verse 30. We're going to find out we're soldiers defending the faith of the gospel. The believer with a single mind can have the joy of the Holy Spirit even in the midst of battle. Un underline that. Underline the two words single mind there. And the believer with the... The believer with the... Now, what does that mean? Doesn't the Bible say that, that a good soldier does not entangle himself with the affairs of this life? A good soldier. Listen, a good soldier has to be focused. I was watching, I don't even remember what, what military movie it was, a war movie, and, and, and they were in basic, camp, or, uh, basic training, and, 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 and this D.I. was all in this guy's face spitting and hollering and shouting and, and screaming and cussing and all this kind of stuff, and, 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 and something was said, I don't even remember how it went, but something was said uh, about a wife, and, and he said, if Uncle Sam wanted you to have a wife, he'd have issued you one. He said, I don't want no distractions. I don't want you to thinking about home. I don't want you to think about your wife. I don't want you thinking about your children. I don't want you to think about your friends. I don't want you to think about your hobbies. I don't want you to think about nothing but the battle ahead. And you know what he was telling him? You've got to be focused. If you don't stay focused in the battle, you're going to get killed. And I thought, wow, how much does that pertain to the battle we face every day? There's so many times the devil, you know, it's funny. <clears throat> it's not funny, but it's ironic 
that the devil doesn't always tempt us to necessarily sin. Like, he doesn't necessarily tempt us to kill somebody or tempt us to, to steal something or tempt us to uh, commit adultery or run around. But many times, he will get us so busy that he will, he will put so much stuff on our plate and so much stuff on our schedule, and he will tempt us to add more to what we are trying to accomplish that we get so busy in life, we get too busy to pray. And we get too busy to spend time with God. And we get too busy for this and we get too busy for that. And we have no idea the enemy is behind the scenes working and he's taken all of our focus off of what it should be on. And the reason that Paul can shout in the prison, the reason that Paul can get joy in a dire circumstance, I'm talking about a horrible situation that he's in, He's surrounded by critics. He is in chains. He is in a bad situation. He hears about the church that's struggling at Philippi. Everything that is going on in his life should get him depressed, but he is rejoicing. You know why? Because he's focused. He's focused. Now, the problem with us is, we learned last week, is that many times we're focused, but we're not focused on the right thing. And we're living for something but it's not the gospel. We're living for something. Boy, we live for whatever. whatever. You just fill in the blank for your life. Is it fishing? Is it, is, is, it, is it a hobby? Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it your children? Do I live? Is your focus on something that's going to help you get through the dark days of your life? And Paul said, I'm focused. And if we're going to get through a battleground, if we're going to get through a fight, we got to stay focused. How do we do that? He begins to tell us. He says in verse number 27, <clears throat> well, let's talk, about, let's talk about the faith of the gospel first, just a little bit, describe that. In verse, number, in verse number 27 at the end, he said, strive together for the faith of the gospel. Now, what is that? What is the faith of the gospel? It is the body of divine truth given to the church. Jude calls it faith that once was delivered unto the saints. And, and, and Jude, if you'll look in verse, I think it's verse number 3, he said to earnestly contend for the faith. In other words, defend it, fight for it. Listen, strive for it. Don't let nobody take it from you. Now, what is that? What is he talking about? Paul warns in 1 Timothy 4, 1, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. God committed the spiritual treasure to Paul in 1 Timothy 1, 11. He then turned and committed it to others. In 1 Timothy 6, 20. Now, Timothy is one. Uh, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, he said, That which thou hast learned of me, commit thou to faithful men, that they may be able to teach others also. In other words, Paul received the treasure of the truth of the gospel, the faith of the gospel, uh, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, everything that goes to what we believe and what we stand for and what we believe in. He, he received that from God. He turned around and gave it to Timothy. And he told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, he says, That which thou hast learned of me, commit thou to faithful men, that they may be able to teach others also. What? The truth of the gospel. This faith, Christianity in a nutshell, if you will. Commit thou. The word commit means to place alongside. What I've given you, give to somebody else so they can give to somebody else so they can give to somebody else. What are we trying to do? What are we trying to do for our children up there in techno or whatever we call it now? <laughs> up there. Josh is going to kill me. Amen. Uh, we're transferring that. We're giving them what someone down the line gave us. 
What are they doing with the teenagers down there? We're giving them what somebody gave us, the truth of the gospel, our Christian faith, our Christian belief what we believe about God, what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about Jesus. You realize, you realize we're all one generation away. One generation away from atheism. If we don't take what we have and give it to the next generation, we're going to end up like the book of Judges and we're going to raise a generation who knew not the Lord. Guess what? We're there. Do you realize there is a generation of technically adults by age today who were never in Sunday school, who were never in Bible school, who never went to Bible school in the summertime and made their little crafts and they heard the story about Jesus? Do you realize we live in America, in an America today, where a whole generation has grown up because the parents were too busy, the parents were going so much, the parents didn't think it was important, and they didn't bring up their kids in church, and that's the generation we're living with. And we wonder why our world and our country has gotten so ungodly. I was reading, I was reading posts by people who, after Anthony Scalia died, I, 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 could not even, I could not even fathom the, the venom that was coming from people, the wicked thoughts and the wicked words that were being said about a conservative judge. It's unbelievable. And I'm thinking, our country, our country is in a mess. You know how we got there? What we're talking about right now tonight. Because we didn't take what we received and pass it down to the next generation. Now look, this truth, this truth is a heritage. This truth is what we stand on, what we believe on. There is an enemy. There is an enemy who is out to steal the treasure from God's people. Paul had met the enemy in Philippi. He was now facing the same one in Rome. If Satan can rob, now think about this. If Satan can only rob believers of their Christian faith, the doctrines that are distinctly theirs, then he can cripple and defeat the whole ministry of the gospel. What is Satan's plan? This is not in the notes, but it's in my mind, so let's talk about it a minute. What is Satan's plan? How does he operate? If we're going to know that, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning and see where he, how he started in the beginning. The first time we ever run into Satan is in the book of Genesis. As we are reading through the book of Genesis, the Bible talks about Satan, and the Bible talks about how sly he is, and how cunning, and how wise. Are y'all with me? The word we use in the King James is subtle. In other words, slick. The Bible says he's a liar and the father of all lies, right? Well, first, this is how he did it. He comes to Eve. Now, now you know Adam and Eve has gotten instruction from God. They could eat any, any tree, any fruit of the, uh, uh, the trees in the garden. And he said, but one tree don't mess with. One tree don't mess with. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, they were perfectly innocent. They were perfectly innocent. 
There was no such thing as evil. They had no concept of evil. They had no concept of right and wrong. Everything was right. They were completely innocent. It's kind of like a baby. Y'all with me? And God gave them the instructions. Adam gave the instructions to Eve. And Satan comes to Eve, the weaker vessel, and says, says you know, basically strikes up a conversation. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't accuse God of anything at, at first. He doesn't say, he just says, Y'all eat anything you want? Y'all need anything you want? And, and, and he said, well, yeah, we can have anything we want. Uh, but, but, but uh, we can't mess with this, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and we really can't even touch it. Be careful adding to God's word. And this is the words that Satan used. Yea, hath God said are you sure about what God said? Are, are, you, are you real sure about God? What's he doing? He's planting doubt. He's planting doubt. He's trying to get Eve to doubt the word of God. And then he just comes out and accuses. He said, look, man, look, look. The only reason that God doesn't want you to have this fruit is because you're going to be smart as he is and you're going to be like God's and God's trying to keep it from you. God's holding back on you. How many of y'all have had that conversation with God? It might not have been about a tree in a garden, but it might have been about a circumstance in your life. The devil's sitting on your shoulder whispering in your ear and saying, you're going through this because God don't care about you. You're going through this trial. You're going through this problem because if God was real, if he, if he was who he said he was, you wouldn't be going through this. If he loved you like he said he loved you, you... how many of y'all have heard that conversation? And his way of working is deception. His way of working is just planting a seed, not coming out, not, not just bald-faced, just planting a seed to get you to doubt. Now here's... Here's why we're going into all this stuff. If there's ever been a day, if there's ever been a day, ladies and gentlemen, that we need to know what we believe is today. I'm telling you, there may come a day when they will try to round up all the Bibles and confiscate them. Do you realize in many countries in the world, in many countries in the world, it's illegal to be in possession of a Bible? You say, oh, that could never happen in America. Do y'all see what's happening right now? Who would have thought that would have happened in America? Who would have ever thought, who would have ever thought that a Christian baker would be fine and probably lose their whole business simply because they wouldn't make a cake. Who would have thought that? Y'all with me? So what does that mean? It means this. If we're in a battle, we're in a fight. Can we all agree we're in a fight? We're all in a battle. We're all on the same team. We're all together. Now, here's the thing. There's three things we got to have. There's three things we got to have in this fight. We got to have consistency. Say that with me. We got to have, say it again. We got to have consistency. Look what it says in verse number 27. Verse number 27. Only let your conversation 
be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, when we use the word conversation, we're talking about talking to somebody. We had a conversation. I talked to you, you talked to me. But that's not what this word means. The old English word, when you study this word out, it means behavior. It means your, your activity. It means your behavior. It means what you do. <clears throat> and what he is saying here, he says, let your behavior be as it becometh. The word becometh there, if you study that word out, it means fitting or proper. Let your behavior be proper toward the gospel of Christ. And what he is doing here, he's encouraging everybody. He's saying, behave. He's saying, behave. There needs to be a consistency in your life. Now, I want to I I put something here before we really jump on, on that part. Let's look at this. There has to be a consistency. Is that going to happen? A, write this down. There has to be a consistency in our belief. Say that word with me. There has to be consistency in our belief. Look what your notes say. It is sad to hear people say, I don't care what you believe just as long as you live right. Well, there's a problem with that. What we believe determines how we behave. Say that with me. What we believe, come on, say it with me. What we believe determines how we behave. A wrong belief ultimately means a wrong life. What you believe is important. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're saved. No. What you're believing may determine whether you're saved or not. It matters what you believe. It matters what you know. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. How many Christians are being destroyed? How many families are being destroyed? How many homes are being destroyed? How many churches are being destroyed? Because they don't have enough knowledge. They don't have enough knowledge of the way the devil works, the way society works, all that's going on. They are immature. They are biblically illiterate. We have raised a whole generation of biblically illiterate people, and they don't know what to believe. So they'll just believe whatever they're told. Man, thank God for good teachers. Thank God for good preachers. But man, you need, you, need to, you need to make an effort to learn something more than what's being taught on Wednesday and what's being taught on Sunday. And you need to make sure, listen, you need to make sure that what is being said, follow it in your Bible. Follow it in your Bible. Know what you believe. Listen, I, I put a few verses down here. In the, in the pastoral epistles, in the pastoral epistles is First and Second Timothy uh, uh, and Titus. These three books, these three books were written from Paul to these pastors, and it's basically he's telling them. Even in First Timothy, he says that thou mayest know how thou dost behave thyself in the house of God. He is teaching pastors. He is giving instructions to pastors of churches. That's why it's called the pastoral epistles. Does that make sense? First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Now. In all of these, the word doctrine, the word doctrine is found 16 times. Do you think that's important? 16 different times you find the word doctrine in these three. And, and these are really short books too. 
really short books. First we find it, we find 1 Timothy 1.3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, uh, this is, this is uh, Paul's opening letter to Timothy. He said, I ask you to stay at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Teach what I've been teaching them. 1 Timothy 4. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to... Come on, to... Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us where we get our doctrine. We get it from the, the Scriptures. The word, that fits, that's the same thing, but let's use the, the, big, the biblical term here in this verse. We get our doctrine from the? If they're not teaching the Scriptures, they're not teaching sound doctrine. We don't get doctrine from somebody else's book they read. Somebody else's book they wrote. It is amazing to me how many times I've turned on the TV and some evangelist or some pastor or some whoever has wrote their own little book and he's up there from the pulpit teaching out of his, on page so-and-so, number seven, you do. I'm thinking, why you fool? We don't, we don't get doctrine from a man's book. We go straight to the scriptures. The scriptures is where we get our doctrine. And the word doctrine means teaching. It means instruction. That's why it is so important that we have a Bible-based church. It's so important that we have a teacher that knows his Bible, a teacher that will teach the Bible, a teacher that will focus on the Bible, not man's opinions, not man's desires, not man's theories, but thus saith the Lord. Doctrine. We get our doctrine. We get our teaching. We get our instruction from the Scriptures. Then look what it says in 2 Timothy 4. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Now, this is Paul. This is Paul speaking to Timothy in his second letter. Now, Paul is getting closer to death now by the time the second letter comes out. And, boy, he is emphasizing this. Preach the word. Now, watch this. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Say those three with me. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and... So, we get our doctrine from the Scriptures, right? We get our doctrine from the... Now, watch what doctrine will do. Watch what will happen when a man is giving sound doctrine. Sound doctrine will reprove. Sound doctrine will reprove. It will also rebuke. But it will also exhort. Now, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of pastors... They had two out of three. <clears throat> and then I've seen some that had one out of three. I've seen some on this end, they didn't do nothing but reprove and rebuke. They were mean as a junkyard dog. By the time that they were through preaching, you was bleeding in the fibers of the carpet. How many of y'all have been to them kind of churches? But then over here, we have a preacher that all he wants to do is exhort. And all he wants to do is encourage. And all he wants to do is make you smile. All he wants you to do is make you happy. 
All he wants you to do is feel good. All he wants you to do is think positive things about yourself. Now, that is just as wrong as that. And I've heard people say, well, I'd rather, if I'm going to be wrong, I'd rather be wrong on this side. I don't want to be wrong on any side. There's two ditches on each side of the road. Let's keep plowing in the middle of the road. Amen? We need reproof. We need rebuking. But bless God, we need some encouragement too. We need some exhorting too. If you preach sound doctrine, you'll get all three. We can preach about grace. We can preach about love. We can preach about heaven. We can preach about the touch of God and the power of God. But we also have to preach about sin and righteousness and judgment to come. That is sound doctrine. We have to have it. We have to have it. We have to have sound doctrine. Why? Because it is important what you believe. It's important what you believe. He said, give them sound doctrine. Boy, Paul is is emphasizing to Timothy, man, whatever you do, stick with sound doctrine. There is coming a day, he says. There is coming a day and an hour when they will not endure sound. Watch what it says they'll do. They shall heap upon themselves teachers having. How many of y'all got a dog? Are you serious? Are y'all communists or something? Everybody needs a dog. You need a puppy. How many of y'all seen a dog? Okay. How many of y'all have ever scratched a dog? How many of y'all have ever scratched a dog on the side? Y'all know where I'm going. You know what that dog said? Oh, yeah, right there. Oh, yeah, right. Oh. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? You know what churches are getting full of? People saying, oh, yeah, yeah, just tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teachers having. Just, just scratch that part I like. Don't tell me not to be bitter. Don't tell me not to be lusting after my neighbor. Don't don't tell me. Just tell me what I want to hear. Don't be getting in my business. Don't be get don't be don't be worrying about stuff. You just tell me what I want to hear. And you know what? The Bible says in the last days, they will heap upon themselves. Teachers. Did you notice? Did you notice it didn't say preachers? Anytime a preacher says he's just a teacher, you better watch that bird. Paul didn't say teach the word. He said preach the word. And in the qualifications, he didn't say apt to teach either. Or excuse me, apt to preach. He said apt to teach. In other words, the preacher has to preach 
But he has to have the ability to teach. In other words, he's about to teach at any moment. What's the point? There's a difference between preaching and teaching. And it's not how, how loud he hollers. That has nothing to do with it. The distance he can spit while he's preaching has nothing to do with preaching. But there's a lot of people that think that. When I was growing up as a kid, when I was growing up as a kid, I thought every preacher in the world was mad at me. Because it seemed everyone that came, he just sat there and screamed at me. And I thought, well, he's, he, I'm, I have, come on, y'all get with me. Am I right? Volume has nothing to do with it. How animated he is has nothing to do with whether he's a preacher or a teacher. I've, I've, I've seen people get up there, and I'm sitting in the congregation, and this guy's going, I mean, buck wild, going crazy, turning red in the face, veins popping out of his neck, spitting to the third row, and everybody's going crazy. And I don't understand a word he's saying. And everybody's so excited. Man, I tell you what, he's a preacher. I tell you what, how's he preaching? You don't even know what he's saying. That's not preaching. That's, anyway, I don't want to say what I think that is. <clears throat> here's, here's the difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching, excuse me, teaching is, this is the information. Preaching is, this is the information. Now, what you going to do with it? Preaching, excuse me, <laughs> what you going to do with it? Amen. <laughs> Preaching will get in your stuff. Preaching requires application. When I was in when I was in Bible college, Preacher Brown, he would always, when we had practice preaching, we'd have to write outlines out. If you ever went from point one to point two without applying point one, you was in trouble. Because preaching is always about application. He didn't want you to just fill your head with knowledge. This is not about teaching. It's not about just giving you some information. It's about applying it and challenging you. All right, God said to forgive. Now, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to forgive your neighbor? Are you going to forgive your spouse? Are you going to let it go and let God bring forgiveness and healing in your life? You see the difference? And the Bible says that, that in the last days, we're just going to, we're going to heap upon ourselves people who will give us some information but won't mess with us about it. We having fun tonight? What we believe counts. But what we believe is going to be greatly determined by what doctrine we receive and what doctrine we find. He said, listen, there's going to come a time when they're not going to endure sound doctrine. So you got to give it to them. You got to give it to them. You got to give them the truth. What we believe matters. What you believe about God's word and about God will greatly determine. I know you're thinking we're totally off the subject of joy, but that's not true. What you believe about God will determine if you experience joy in this life. Church, say amen. There needs to be consistency in our belief. We need to know what we believe. We need to be firm in what we believe. I'd like to say this too. We need to know why we believe it. Don't ever say, please, please, don't ever say this. Don't ever say this. Don't ever say this. 
Don't ever say, because the preacher said. <laughs> Don't say that. Always say, because the Bible says. And, and if they say, where? I don't know, but I'm going to find it. Don't say the preacher says. Say the Bible says. And you say, now here's what may happen. Here's what may happen. This, this ain't in the notes. I'm just running another rabbit. <clears throat> you may find out that what you have believed is not there. So you may have to go back and say, you know what? I was wrong. This is what the Bible says. I'm telling you, it was a great day of my life when I realized I didn't have to have all the answers. I just had nowhere to find them. Amen? Understand this. Go find them. Don't base, don't base what you believe on what somebody says. They may tell you the truth. Well, go check. Go check. The Bible says that they search the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. Are y'all with me? Amen. Moving right along. Y'all enjoying that so much. Amen. There needs to be consistency, A, in our... Come on, y'all. There needs to be consistency in our... B. There needs to be consistency in our behavior. Behavior. Ephesians 4.1. Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Colossians 1.10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The old English word conversation, of course, means walk and not talk. I love this sentence right here. The most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon or a powerful book. It is the consistent life of believers. Let me read that again. The most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon. How many of y'all have come in here? And, 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 and maybe, maybe whoever was preaching had a real stirring sermon. Man, you was real excited. I'm telling you, that Sunday morning, you couldn't hardly believe it. It just touched your soul. It changed your life till Monday. I preached them, and it lasted about till Monday morning. You with me? A book, I've read books that I thought changed my life. One, one book I read was uh, 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 Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. By Jim Simblett. It's an unbelievable book. Incredible book. Man, I was jacked up about it. I, I, I just read it all day. Went That night, I couldn't even hardly go to sleep. I wanted to finish reading it. And, 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 and man, it was, woo! But that, you know, you get over that kind of stuff. But consistency. 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 You don't have to run 90 miles an hour. You just got to stay at a steady 50. Right? How many of y'all seen? How many of y'all seen them cartoons? Uh, the tortoise and the hare. That hare tears out. Bugs Bunny tears out, and here comes the turtle. Do-dum, 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 do-dum. Come on! 
Y'all don't act like all dignified with me. I know. Who won? That's right. I need you at the altar right after this service, Dole. Look at the poem. Look at the poem. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds you do and the words you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? What is Paul saying here? He's saying, I want you to lead a consistent life. I want your behavior, your conversation to become fitting to the gospel. Because how you live your life in front of your neighbor will greatly determine whether they believe or not, not the sermon you give them. Y'all with me? Is, is Jalen in the house anywhere? Is he, is he anywhere out smoking a cigarette or something? What's he doing? Is, it, is Dustin in the house anywhere? Do I have any, any person that loves Jesus in this place? Any choir people? Are there any choir people? What is the song? What is the song? Sandra, what is the song? Uh, this, this, the Brooklyn Tab song that, that it, it just, it's, it start, it's, it's one of the Bible verses in the Bible. Thou, O Lord. Is, that's right, is that right? Thou, O Lord, art, art a shield for me and so forth and so on. There was a time, there was a time on Saturday. I'd, 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 I'd been studying and studying and studying and studying. I couldn't get, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I just couldn't get it. God wouldn't talk to me. I couldn't hear anything. I was struggling. I was struggling. I was struggling. Sunday morning. Actually, it was like 2 o'clock. Well, it was 2 o'clock Sunday morning, Saturday night. All of a sudden, those verses came to my head. That, that chapter and, 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 and all that started coming to me. And God started giving me some thoughts about that chapter. The next morning, I don't remember how it worked out. I don't remember whether I told uh, Jalen that and I wanted them to sing it or whether it, was just, it just happened that they were singing it that day. I had these thoughts in my head about God being our shield and our strength. And no matter what we're going through, God will bring us through it. And I'm walking through, this is when we was in the old building. And when I came in the building that morning, when I came in the building that morning, I was walking down the edge of that hallway right there. And, and I looked to my left, and there sat a coon hunting buddy of mine sitting there who, who didn't go to church, who said he was an atheist. Anytime anybody ever tried to talk to him about God, he'd just about cuss him out and said he didn't believe in God. There was no such thing as God. When you die, you turn into worm dirt. It's over with, blah, blah, blah. And he was sitting in the church. Had no idea he was going to be there. Had no concept, whatever, that he was going to be. Just no. And I just got. I get up. The choir gets ready to sing the song. And I step forward and I took my Bible and I opened up to that chapter. And I read it and I started crying. And I started reading it. I've gone back. I've gone back and looked at the video. And every, it seemed like every eye in the choir was, had tears in their eyes. And they sing this song. Y'all know the song the choir sing. They just blow it out. It's just ridiculous. Thou, O Lord, art strength to me. Thou, thou art, you know, a refuge. All this. Man, it's unbelievable. And it was powerful that day. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, it was unbelievable. You could just, you, you could just feel God in there. It was like a fog. I had to have a C&I dog walk around. 
And I'm thinking, man, he's going to get saved. He's going to get saved. Ain't no doubt about it. This is divine. God planned this. I didn't have to ask him. He came on his own, and here it is. God, God kept me away. I mean, I'm, I'm going through this whole thing. There's no doubt about it. God gave me this in the choir, and it's God, and you can feel God. It's powerful. And guess what he did? He got up and walked out. Not that he didn't enjoy it because he loved singing. I was just, oh. Then somebody he knew who was a bad alcoholic came down the aisle, knelt down in the front when we was in another building, and got saved. Went back several times at the Coon Club. That subject was brought up. Ah! Ah, it ain't real. But every day, every Sunday, he kept coming back to church. Every day, he was different. Every day, he lived his life changed. Every day, every day. And he saw it. He saw a consistent life of a changed person. And there is no doubt in my mind that he got saved and he believed in God and he trusted Christ. I baptized him. He's in heaven today. He got cancer really bad. And I believe with all of my heart he trusted Christ. Not because of that stirring song. Not because of that stirring message. It was because there was a consistent life change of somebody he knew he knew their past he knew what they used to be and now he saw they're different something happened so why are you using this illustration because paul's trying to say here i'm not saying you have to memorize the bible but i am saying you got to be different and you have to be consistent you can't be all quoting scripture. It's, 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 this, this is a, the epitome of Facebook. Quoting scripture one day, cussing on there the next. I saw a picture of what it said. Santa saw your Facebook. You're getting a Bible and clothes for Christmas. Hello? How many of y'all get aggravated when y'all see that? You should. What, what do you think the world's thinking? And, and by the way, it don't always have to be on Facebook. It could just be what happens when you get frustrated at work. Do they see the grace of God and Jesus in you, or do they see you lose your temper and cuss everybody out? What are we going to do, and what do we need? Paul said we need consistency. I'm not saying you've got to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be the Apostle Paul. Just be right. Consistently. You don't have to be perfect. Does this make sense? Our behavior. 
We've got to have consistency in our behavior. Number two, if we're going to defeat the enemy, we've got to have consistency. If we're going to defeat the enemy, we've got to have cooperation. <clears throat> we've got to have cooperation. Look what it says. Whether I come, this is verse 27. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Now, here, here's we're going to break it down. I read this verse. I guarantee you I read this verse today 150 times. Just over and over and over and over again trying to figure out what God was trying to. Look what, look what it says. Let's break it down. That ye stand fast. That ye stand fast. Those two words literally means to persevere. If you want to use the terminology, it means to tough it out. It means to tough it out. Do you know there's going to be times if we're going to have real cooperation in the church that we're going to have to tough it out? We're not always going to be, we're not always going to be, let me say this, it's not always going to be easy to get along. There may be differences of opinions. There may be differences of preferences. There may, there may be differences of ideas and, and there may be differences of directions and some will want to go this way and some will want to go that way and, 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 and we're going to have to tough it out. And when it comes to cooperation, we're going to have to tough it out. We're going to have to persevere when, the, when Satan comes against us, when, when the world comes against us, when our own flesh is fighting us. We're going to have to tough it out. Say that with me. Tough it out. Persevere. Hang on. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Be stationary. The word means persevere, means be stationary. In other words, don't move. Hang tough. He says, stand fast. Stand fast. How? In one spirit with one mind. One spirit, one mind. That means unity. Write that word down. If there's going to be cooperation, there's got to be perseverance. But there's also got to be, say it with me, unity. 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 Let me tell you why there's so many churches in America. <clears throat> they can't get all with one spirit and one mind. One spirit and one mind. Some are wanting this and some are wanting that. How many of y'all know that everybody's got an agenda for the church? I love when people come to me and say, I think the church needs to do this. And I, you know what I always say? Have at it. Well, no, I mean, I mean the church. You are the church. I love when people have a lot of ideas for everybody but themselves. They've got a lot of things they want implemented by other people than themselves. Well, I think the church ought to do this. Well, I think the church ought to do that. I think this and I think that. Well, I think we need to be on the same page. I think we need to be together. I think we need to have the same spirit. I think we need to have the same mind. Now, that means the same way of thinking, thinking the same thing, wanting the same thing, desiring the same thing, going the same direction. A man was walking down the road one day. He was walking down the road. <laughs> he was walking down the road, and he saw a guy with a couch in a doorway. And, man, he was sweating profusely. And he goes up there and says, Sir, let me help you. And so for about 30 minutes, man, they were struggling and struggling and struggling with that thing. And the guy on the outside, he said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to try one more time and give it a good push. He said a push, 
He said, I'm going out, not in. What's the problem? They were not on the same page. They were not of the same mind. There's churches splitting and pastors quitting. Why? Because they can't get on the same page and they can't get in the same mind fret or the, the same mind frame, wanting the same thing and desiring the same thing. Are y'all with me? Listen, we gotta get together. We gotta have unity. All right. Somebody shoot. You gotta do this quick now. Give me a favorite song. <clears throat> Give me a favorite song. Quicker than this. All right. Somebody said Amazing Grace. All right, give me, give me a favorite song. How Great Thou Art. Come on, come on, give me a favorite song. Say it again. Okay, all right. Anybody else? On the right side, all right. Hey, I don't care if it's friends in low places. Just give me a song, all right? Come on. Somebody. Hallelujah, that's a good one. Old Ragged Crop. Boy, I like all of them. All right, now, y'all ready? How many of y'all have got a favorite song? Everybody got a favorite? Raise your hand. Raise your hand real high. Come on, I'm running out of time. Raise your hand real high. You got a favorite song. Okay, when I count to three, let's sing them. All right, y'all ready? Y'all ready? Come on now. Come on. All right, here we go. One, two, three. All my exes. I mean, y'all supposed to be singing. Y'all don't know what I was going to sing. You say, that would sound awful. That's right. But if I said this, <clears throat> let's all sing Amazing Grace. I'm going to mess this up. This is going to be bad. <clears throat> How many of y'all know Amazing Grace? Sing loud, Doyle. Help me. Here we go. Here we go. Everybody know it? Now sing loud. Y'all got to cover me up because I'm, I'm my voice is oh, bad. All right? Here we go. Here we go. You ready? Amazing Grace. Sing how sweet the sound that saved a like me. Somebody say man. Now, which sounded better? You know why? Because we have one mind and one spirit. Now, watch. Now, watch. Here's the deal. Well, how can we do that? God told us. Is everybody saying, well, what mind are we supposed to have and what spirit? Look what the next verse says. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Look what, write the word here down, focus. There has to be perseverance. There has to be unity. And where is the focus of our unity? Around the faith of the gospel. We may not can agree on everything, but we can agree that people need to get saved. We may not can agree with everything, but we can agree that Jesus loves me. This I know, for my Bible tells me so. Y'all with me? You know what? If we'll keep our focus right, if we'll center our, our wants and our desires to get people saved, all of our differences of preferences won't matter a hill of beans. That's what that means. He says, I don't want you to fight. Now, you've got to understand this. There was a couple women at the church at Philippi that was arguing. You will read about that in chapter 4. They was fussing and fighting. And what happened is the two women were fighting, and then they started taking sides. Well, that sounds like a modern-day church split in the making, didn't it? And so Paul is addressing it. He says, oh, boy, whoa, wait a minute. We've got we to get together. We can't be fighting. 
We can't be squabbling. We can't be disagreeing. I don't know what they're fighting over. They might have been fighting over how what chocolate cake or vanilla cake at the next social. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but churches are split over less. You see, none of that's all that's irrelevant if we'll get focused on the gospel. Have y'all noticed what happened to Temple Baptist Church after we decided that it's not about us anymore? It's about the lost getting saved. You see how our church exploded with growth and with the power of God on it? Because our focus was on getting people saved, not on what song we sing. Not, not, anyway, I'm out of time. Okay, let me give you these other things and you can just write them down. <clears throat> Confidence. We need, we need, we need, what I say? We need, uh, what was it, number one? We need consistency. That's right. We need consistency. Number two, we need, number three, we need confidence. Look what he says. He says, in nothing, in nothing terrified by your adversaries. You know what he's saying there? Don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid of the enemy. These three things. Let me just give you the words and we'll, we'll pray. These battles that we're in, in verse 29, you read about it. These battles that we face every day, that, that we, we face every day. These battles prove that we are saved. They prove that we're saved. You're an enemy now. Before you were saved, the devil didn't bother you. Because you were no threat to him. The moment you got saved, you become the enemy. So rejoice in the fact when you're going through hell itself saying, well, thank God, at least I'm saved. Say, what comfort is that? You can tell the devil, devil, this is all the hell I'm ever going to have. <laughs> Woo! If you're offended, I apologize. Number two, <laughs> these battles prove that we are saved. Number two, the presence of conflict, oh boy, is a privilege. Mercy. What does he say in verse, verse 29? For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Wow. It's a privilege. Do you remember what, you remember what that gentleman said in Nepal when Brother Jeff and him went over there? He said, it is a privilege. It's an honor to be beaten for Jesus Christ. I wonder if he knew something about joy. What he was going through was a privilege. Look at this, number three, and we'll pray. Others are experiencing the same conflict. It says in verse 30, Having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. I want everybody to stop what you're doing real quick and look at me. Look at me real quick. Don't, don't shut nothing up or just, just look at me. Look at me. Look, you got to get this. Don't ever let the devil say to you what you're going through. You're the only one in the world going through it. Let the devil say to you, what you're going through, you're the only one in the world going through it. You're the only one. Other people's gone through divorce. Other people's gone through cancer. Other people's gone through strife. Other people's gone through sickness. Other people's gone through sex. Other people's gone through all of this stuff. But when we are in our deepest valley, the devil will try to make you think you're the only one that's ever going through this. He'll saying, be of good cheer. 